which will be published on Amazon for pre-order, I think, when this podcast comes out. So I might as well just tell you the title, right? Yeah, let's do it. For a title <laughs> reveal, we're going to make this a really exciting podcast. Yes, excellent. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast. I'm Christy Meyer, your host, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and plenty of books to keep your TBR piles toppling. So grab a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Hello, my friends. I am so pumped about today's episode because not only are we going to be doing a deep dive into the world of indie publishing, but we have the author of what is easily my favorite romance novel of the year so far joining us. The book is done and dusted. The author is Lila Sage, and the book is officially out today. So massive congratulations and happy book birthday to you, Lila. Oh, what a great like first birthday present for my sweet little book. That was so kind of you. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited that your book is out in the world today. I, like I said, absolutely loved it. One of my favorite romances that I've read. And I can't wait to just chat all about it today. But do you want to kick off the conversation just by telling our listeners what the book is all about? Yes, definitely. Um, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to talk about Done and Dusted and indie publishing and kind of all of the things that went into this cheeky little cowboy romance that I love so much. <laughs> um, but Done and Dusted follows our main protagonist, Emmy. Her full name is Clementine. Yeah, like the fruit. <laughs> um, but she goes by Emmy. She is a professional barrel racer. She kind of worked her entire life to get out of her small hometown, but she has a riding accident that really shakes her confidence and it shakes it so badly that she decides to kind of drop everything like in her life in Denver um, and return back home to her small hometown of Meadowlark, Wyoming, because she really doesn't know what to do. She doesn't have any direction. And this is very unusual for our Emmy gal. Um, but upon her return home, she immediately runs into Luke Brooks, who is her brother's best friend. Um, and even though they've kind of antagonized each other throughout their lives, Brooks sees her and kind of immediately knows something's wrong. And he decides that he's going to be the one that gets to the bottom of it. Uh, so they kind of go through this thing where they don't really know each other. They've lived in each other's periphery. Mm -hmm. for their entire life and now all of a sudden they're both front and center in their lives and and Brooks is really helping her she kind of realizes that maybe she never knew him and Brooks is realizing that he knows Emmy better than he thought he did um and you know they start to fall for each other and both of mm -hmm. them kind of find a sense of safety in the other and it turns into what I think is a very sweet and heartfelt love story it absolutely is. And I just, so Metal Arc was such a charming setting. And then 
Brooks was like, oh, oh my goodness, like the swooniest love interest. I just, I loved everything about it. And then one thing that you did that I was just like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know we could do this in the romance genre. So you have no third act breakup. And I don't think that's really a spoiler because I've seen you mention it on social media. Um, Cause that's like such a dominant thing in the romance genre. It's like not even a trope. It's to the point where it's like almost a rule. Mm -hmm. And I love that you did other things instead that were like equally engrossing and kept me interested and like still high stakes and kept you wanting to turn the pages, but it wasn't like the typical romance book. And I loved that. Yeah. So I think one thing I have to mention here is that I'm not anti third act breakup. I think mm -hmm. that some of them are done really well and I enjoy them, but for Luke and Emmy, it just really didn't make sense to me because I think the stakes are high enough for them, you know, considering that their relationship has been sort of a secret. And mm -hmm. um, even when, you know, they kind of cross the line of this is, you know, my brother's best friend or my best friend's little sister, it's never we can't do this. It's how and when are we going to tell people that we're doing this? Right. So for me, it didn't really make sense for them to kind of break it off um, and come back together because if there's... <laughs> One thing about Luke and Emmy is that they're both fiercely protective of the other and neither one is letting the other one go. So for me, it just kind of made more sense for the story. And so mm -hmm. the third act is more kind of about, I think the third act really focuses more on Emmy overcoming kind of her obstacle that she's faced with at the beginning of the story versus this relationship focus of them, you know, going apart and coming back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you just did what was right for the story and what was right for the characters. Um, and I like, I definitely don't mind a third act breakup. It's in pretty much like every romance book that I read that I write. Like it's definitely like such a big thing in story structure. And I think that's one of the cool things about indie publishing too, is that you kind of have a little bit more space to do what feels right for your story instead of like doing what you feel like you have to for the market or to get a book deal or what's going to make agents and editors happy and all of that stuff. I totally agree. And I think that's why kind of taking the indie route at this point was really appealing to me because mm -hmm. Done and Dusted is a story that I just, I adore. As soon as I started kind of kicking it around in my head, I was obsessed with it and I wanted to tell it exactly how I wanted to tell it. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked out. I love that. Oh, I'm so excited for you. It turned out fantastic. Um, and I'm really excited to see like some of our listeners responses after they've read the book too, because I know a lot of them are just going to love it. And then one thing I did want to talk about, so I know you're a big supporter of content warnings in books, and you actually list the content warnings for Done and Dusted like right at the beginning, which I thought was awesome. So what content warnings do you think readers should be aware of going into the novel? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for me, content warnings are so important because like probably almost every reader out there, I read for an escape and I don't want something to pull me out of the story that maybe I could have been warned about beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I decided to make sure that mine were front and center in the book, but also they're easily accessible in other places so you can see them before you read. So the cover of Done and Dusted is pretty cute. I'm pretty proud so of it. Cute. And they are like making out on the cover. So I think that communicates romance. Uh -huh. But I also wanted to make sure that readers were aware that going into the book, it's going to be like spicy. It's got mm -hmm. some mature themes and sexual content on page. Um, and so that was really important for me to make it clear because I know that's not everybody's thing. 
And, you know, sometimes like you want to be in the right mood to read it. Sometimes you just don't want it at all. Um, So that's kind of the one that was at the forefront for me, just because I don't want readers to go in seeing this adorable cover and then get something that they weren't expecting. Uh Um, But I also think, you know, I talked to, I talked about this a little bit when I was first coming up with the content warnings and it's that I think Done and Dusted is an extremely happy and joyful love story, but it's also a story about what it means to find something or somebody that makes you feel safe. And in order to know what it feels like to feel safe, we experience things that make us feel unsafe. That's just unfortunately like the reality of being an adult and finding Mm -hmm. your way. And so I think those experiences that have both made Brooks and Emmy feel unsafe and insecure play a huge role in framing this story and I and kind of creating those mature themes that exist in Done and Dusted. That's where we get with some of the heavier kind of content warnings, like the death of a parent, Emmy's mm-hmm. mom passed away when she was young, or Brooks comes from a pretty toxic environment with his mom and his stepdad and his brothers and kind of his living situation. And so there's a lot of toxicity in his childhood from his parents. Emmy makes references to an ex-boyfriend who's kind of controlling. And I know that's a trigger for a lot of women. Um, It's pretty brief, but it still exists. And so those are kind of some of those heavier things that come from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I really appreciate you listing all of the content warnings because it is really important for a lot of readers. I think especially um, when you're working in the romance genre, right? Because people are looking for an escape a lot of the time. So they're not always prepared for something a little bit heavier. Um, Like they would be if we're looking into like a literary fiction novel or something like that. Definitely. And I think for Done and Dusted, again, most of these triggers that exist, um, maybe except for the spice, um, they're pretty brief, but they do frame the story. And so it was important for me to make readers aware of them beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is a spicy book. It's so much fun. <laughs> and I was like dying laughing when you did a post on Instagram lately, like your parents are so adorable and like so supportive. And you're like, they're so excited for my book, but they're not allowed to read it. <laughs> Absolutely not. Christy, if I see my mother within a 10 foot radius of Done and dusted I'm gonna light myself on fire <laughs> I I totally get it like the books that I've written um do are like closed door but still like just having kissing scenes like I want to die when my dad reads that book like it just absolutely kills me <laughs> I could not my yeah my parents would be like what what did we do where did this come from but you know I but it's I love the book and I let my mom read kind of their like reconciliation at the end cute just because that's an extremely sweet moment and I told her she could listen to the pod but I was like please don't read this like I I can't exist and live my life knowing (laughs) that you've read this and they were both like okay we're super proud of you do your thing have fun so funny yeah like I get so mortified by it like my friend actually she has a cricket and so she made me a t-shirt that said like mom and dad I apologize for the kissing in my books (laughs) because I am like always so embarrassed about it I mean, if it was just kissing, I might feel different, but <laughs> right. unfortunately, I don't know where it came from. I don't know who wrote those scenes. It wasn't me, but it was. It was right. a different version of yeah. me. Yeah, Lila's um, mom, it was not her. It's okay. <laughs> it wasn't me. I wrote all of the spicy scenes kind of under the cover of darkness, and uh-huh. when I woke up the next morning and I would reread them, I would be like, oh my god. <laughs> 
that worked and out. What, like what I love about this book, so there's some books that are very spicy and that kind of like takes over the whole plot and just becomes what the book is, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think this book is one where like if you're not super into spicy, like you can kind of like skim those scenes, but then like there's still plenty of like plot and story and heartwarming characters to keep you like engaged and reading and it's just a lovely book in lots of different ways thank you for saying that that was kind of my goal it wasn't my goal never really was to write like a spicy book when I went into it I had one of their kind of spicy scenes that I had kind of outlined in my plotting process which Uh is me just being a chaotic gremlin on a google doc but I had one kind of (laughs) mapped out um and then more just kind of fell in and it worked for the story and I didn't feel like it overtook them so I never wanted to write you know just a spicy book which I love to read Mm -hmm. um but I wanted to write kind of a book that also had spice yeah yeah absolutely it's so well done um and like I said Meadowlark and then Rebel Blue Ranch which is the ranch that Emmy's family owns they just make for like such a delightful setting in the book. So did you draw your inspiration from any locations that you've been to in real life? Yes, absolutely. So um, I grew up in a small town, um, no like gas station, no stoplight, Uh no anything. And when I think back to my childhood, that town that I grew up in, I really think of it like as a character in my story. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I wanted Meadowlark and Rebel Blue to feel like they were also side characters in kind of this world that yes. I was creating. Um, so Metal Arc is actually Metal Arc has like a diner and a tractor supply and a clothing store. So they actually have a lot more things than my small hometown did. But I think a lot of the inspiration on how kind of small towns function and work came from there. I'm lucky enough to live out west and be surrounded by mountains every day of my life and mm-hmm. grew up you know, really close to horses. I had a job like baling hay. And so being able to pull kind of this inspiration from real life places that I've been that are surrounded by just this mountain majesty um, was really awesome. And when I found out that when I was doing kind of some preliminary research, that Wyoming state, their state bird is a meadowlark and they don't have a town called meadowlark. I thought it was a tragedy that needed to be that that I needed to remedy immediately by writing kind of this fictional town. And um, Rebel Blue actually means a lot to me because it's technically named after my grandparents. Their nicknames for each other were Rebel and Blue. So that's where Rebel Blue went. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So that is where kind of Rebel Blue um, comes from. And I love kind of having that small little tribute to them in there. So yeah, I just, I, both of the settings mean so much to me and they, everything in this book is in, the settings are inspired by places that I've been down to the, you know, crappy dive bar. And so I hope that my hope was to kind of make those places feel immersive and real. I love it. Oh my goodness. I love that you've put so much of yourself and your heart in the story And I don't feel like authors have to make the setting a character in the book for it to be good. But when you do, it makes the book so much more immersive and like so much more of an escape for readers. Like for me personally, that's something that really just hooks me on a series and makes me want to keep coming back again and again and again. So I love that you did that. I love it too. And um, I think I, you know, besides romance, I really like to read like thrillers that feel uh-huh. really atmospheric. Yes. 
Uh, and I was like, how can I make, you know, a romance novel feel this way? And it came down to the setting and making sure, you know, that I was hitting all five of the senses and that when I was describing these places, even down to, you know, like Luke's mom's trailer that she lives in, yeah. that people could feel like they could walk in and know what it was. I definitely think you nailed it. Um, sensory writing is really, really hard to do. And I think you did it really well. And I like, I am assuming there's more books in this series and I already can't wait to go back to Rebel Blue. Yes. There are, and I am also. Well, I never left Rebel Blue, so I'm happy to still be there. <laughs> You're just happily immersed there forever. I yeah. love it. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the first cowboy romance that I've ever read, which is wild because I'm from Utah. My family, like, they were cattle ranchers um, up until, like, probably the 90s. Like, that was our family business. So the fact that I've never read one is, like, kind of bananas. But uh, this was my first one. I absolutely loved it. You have me hooked on the genre. And like I said, Luke Brooks, like the swooniest love interest of all time. So tell our <laughs> listeners a little bit about him. Oh, Luke, my man. Um, I The idea for Luke kind of came like from just one thing. I was watching Friday Night Lights, which is yeah. my... <laughs> favorite tv show of all time it's like the thing I go back to when I need like a nice a nice comfort show um and the older I get the hotter coach Taylor gets but that's besides <laughs> the point um but I was like what if because to me Tim Riggins is kind of this original bad boy with a heart of gold that we all just loved because women are like I can fix him or like I see the good in him right. and so I thought about like what would happen if Tim Riggins was a cowboy that grew up, got a job, got a savings account, maybe washed his hair more than once a month. <laughs> um, and that's that's where Luke Brooks came from. Um, and I'm so proud of him as a character, not only as a very swoony love interest, but just I think as a dynamic and complex man um and I was really nervous about because I decided I wanted to write it in a dual POV and kind of my biggest fear was that it would feel like I was writing a caricature of what I thought a man would be mm -hmm. and so there was like a lot of development that went into Luke and the way that he thinks and the way that he talks or doesn't talk because he's a man of few words and right. being trying to be really true to his character even when it comes to kind of this declaration of love I knew that he wasn't going to be the type of guy that has like you know those really beautiful paragraph long love declarations he's just a guy that's going to say exactly what he needs to say in a few words and it's going to have an impact because that's who he is so I was actually really nervous about him but he turned out to be a character that I am so proud of. He also got named last. I had no idea what I was going to call this guy. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I had no, not a clue. I kind of knew I always wanted his last name to be Brooks because I like the idea of, some, of people calling him by his last name. But mm -hmm. Luke literally came, like, I I had all probably two thirds of a first draft that was using kind of a filler name before I was just like a, laying in my bed one night and I was like, Luke, like, that's it. And yeah. It, worked out perfect but he's complex and dynamic he he has a lot of character growth that you kind of don't see in the book because it's been you know a decade almost since he's seen Emmy and so I think the thing that paints the picture of Luke the best is the fact that Emmy realizes that you know maybe she just hasn't seen him clearly her entire life and maybe right. she isn't he yeah. isn't who she is and so I think that's what demonstrates him and his character growth the best is the fact that this girl who's literally known him almost her entire life 
realizes that Luke Brooks is so different than who he is in her head. Yeah, because she missed out on seeing like that character development in him while she was gone in Denver mm-hmm. doing her rodeo thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, our rodeo queen. Our rodeo queen. I love it. Um, and like, I just have to say, like, the number of girlies I've seen on Instagram on TikTok uh, saying how excited they are for a character that is inspired by Tim Riggins. Like, it's just like it's it cracks me up and it makes me so happy and excited for you. I love it. I love it too. And it wasn't like. I didn't necessarily think that was a thing that would get people, but it did, yeah. It did. And it just again, it just solidifies the fact that like the girls love Tim Riggins. Yeah. Um, and so I Luke Brooks is kind of Tim Riggins grown up with some improvements, including the hair washing. <laughs> including the hair washing. Very yeah, important. <laughs> that kid's hair is greasy. I, know. I don't know if you've watched Friday Night Lights lately, but I every time I watch it now as an adult, I'm like, wash your hair. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. But yeah, his character like definitely speaks to people. So uh, I I see like lots of excitement for your book, both now before it's been coming out, like the hype leading up to the launch. And then going forward, I think it's just going to get bigger, which is so fun. Oh, thank you so much. I'm super excited. I'm just grateful. Of course. And we have to talk about like the star of the show, Emmy. So I did find her very relatable. She's so genuine and she just felt like a real person. You did a great job with her development. I want to be friends with Emmy. So what was your process like for developing her character? I think you kind of just nailed it on the head when you said like you want to be friends with Emmy. And that's something that's so important to me when I'm developing women characters is I want them to be women that I want to be friends with. And that usually means I'm developing characters that are exactly like women that exist in my life because Mm -hmm. I love the women in my life. But more than creating kind of a gal that I want to be friends with, I think it's also you have to have a character that has positive qualities and negative qualities. Not negative, but maybe things that they their own kind of Achilles heel and Emmy is strong and she is fiercely brave and she's fiercely independent kind of almost to a fault um and those are things that I love about her and things that drive her character in the direction that she needs to go Emmy also has kind of this innate need for control which kind of pushes her sometimes to spiral when she loses it Mm -hmm. pushes her to hold on to things really tightly instead of maybe letting them go and letting things you know fall where they may and so I think when I was creating Emmy it's making sure that again I just wanted her to feel like somebody I would be friends with but also somebody who I feel like could be friends with me and Mm -hmm. who could and I think the great thing about friends is that they generally see the good in you and they know how to work around the things that you have to work on exactly um and so I thought about you know my friends I thought about me I thought about the way that my friends interact with me when I do something like stupid and Emmy is just in so many ways Emmy Teddy, who is her best friend in the story, um, they kind of feel like a love letter to the women in my life. Oh, I love that. And I loved Teddy. And I just have to say, like, I feel like in writing, like, it's so hard, especially if you're trying to pursue, like, traditional publishing, like, you get very caught up in, like, writing what other people want or what you think other people want. But Mm -hmm. I think as a reader, you can really sense it when an author is writing what they want 
and they're writing characters that they want to be friends with in settings that they want to be in and that they know. And I feel like that's what you've done here. And that's really what makes the story so engrossing. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I just, I think sometimes what it comes down to is I really love my characters and I love them for their pros. I love them for their cons. I love them for their strengths and their faults because that's how I love the things, people and places that are in my life already. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I wrote the book. And that's how I created Emmy and Luke and Teddy and Wes and all of the really wonderful characters that kind of comprise the the full cast. And I'm I'm so proud of all of them. And at this point, they kind of feel like they're not mine anymore. Like I've had the opportunity to kind of give them to other people, um, which is also really special too. Yeah. Oh, that's so neat. And it is just like such a fun cast of characters. I'm excited <laughs> to see more of some of the other characters in the upcoming books too. So that's going to be really exciting for all mm -hmm. of us readers. I uh, thought about this yesterday, but I've just been scheming away over here. Uh -huh. um, and I'm really excited about kind of the rest of them as well. And Ooh, I'm excited about it. about Luke and Emmy and their progression over the next little bit. Because um, I think... Something that makes Dawn and Dusty kind of unique to a lot of books that I read is my side characters actually get a lot of airtime. So yeah, I, I think that also means that um, the end of Dawn and Dusted doesn't mean you have to say goodbye to Luke and Emmy. You just get to see them from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So I read a lot of like cozy mysteries and I read them because there's like always a ton of side characters and subplots and setting development and you feel like you're part of a community and I feel like that's the same thing that you're doing in this series which is probably why I enjoyed it as much as I did um so I am really excited for all of these subplots to unfold um, and I can't wait to hear more about these books that we have coming up do you want to tell us a little bit about um how many books you have planned in the series or like when the next one comes out or like what your plans are with the next books um in metal arc yes absolutely so there are currently four books planned in kind of the rebel blue ranch series okay um all of the women main characters are mentioned in done and dusted you might not meet all of them in done and dusted but all of them exist already oh, i was hoping you were gonna say that <laughs> Yes, all of them already exist. You've at least heard their names and you've met, if you include Emmy, you've met three of them. So okay. um, that is exciting. I'm currently working on book two, when, which will be published on Amazon for pre-order, I think, when this podcast comes out. So I might as well just tell you the title, right? Yeah, let's do it. For a title <laughs> reveal. We're going to make this a really exciting podcast. Yes, excellent. So the title <laughs> for book two is called, it's called um, Swift and Saddled. Oh my gosh, um, I love it. That's yeah, perfect. I'm, I love it too. Um, and I just got the cover back also. <gasps> Um, a couple of days ago and I didn't know if I could love anything as much as I love my done and dusted baby cover but this Seriously. is it's really good <laughs> oh my goodness I want to see it I'm so excited it's gonna be awesome and this one covers uh Emmy's not oldest brother but her middle brother Wes Weston Ryder is oh, our male main character I have a <laughs> guess on who I think his love interest is gonna be but I'm not gonna say it um because I I don't want to spoil anything for our listeners but I do want all of them to go to Amazon after they're done listening to this podcast episode and check out the cover and pre-order the next book in the series, as well as like picking up a, co a copy of Done and Dusted, because obviously you need to read that one as well. 
Thank you so much. I'm excited too. Wes is, um, he's a fun little golden retriever boy and I'm having mm-hmm. a absolute blast writing his book right now. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was adorable. I really, really liked him while I was reading Done and Dusted. So I'm excited. Yes. People kind of latch on to Emmy's um, oldest brother, Gus, because he's kind of grumpy and uh-huh. I get that. I get the appeal. Um, but I really have a soft spot for Wes and I really wanted to kind of give him, give him some fun. Yeah, I, I have a guess for Gus's love interest too, but <laughs> You're probably we'll right. see how things go. <laughs> so I'm excited to see how that all plays out. And now that you've got us like all hooked on this cowboy romance genre, uh, tell us some reading recommendations. What are some cowboy romances that you think our listeners would enjoy if they picked up? Yes. So I think um, one that's kind of underrated that I don't see a lot of places and that I've been reading for years is uh, Kim Lorraine. She has kind of this, like it's three series that are interconnected. Um, It's Riker Ranch. It's Cowboys, Small Town, Montana, and it's a ton of fun. They're pretty short too. And the audiobooks for them are also done in duet narration, which is so fun because it's like playing a movie in your brain. Love it. Um, yeah, I she has excellent narrators. Um, I love those. They kind of they have a lot of fun tropes. There's a single dad nanny. There is a best friend's little sister. They have just it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't see them a lot of places because Kim Lorraine is kind of n- more known for her paranormal stuff. But okay. the woman can ride a cowboy. Um, <laughs> As you would know. <laughs> yes, which is a lot of fun. And then if you haven't, I definitely recommend picking up um, the Chestnut Spring series by Elsie Silver. I think Elsie refers to her boys more as country boys than cowboys, but uh-huh. you'll definitely get the same kind of fun country boy, small town vibe. And one thing I love about Elsie's books are her female main characters. They're fun, they're strong, they're independent, and they put the cowboys right in their place. And I love that. Oh, I'm so excited you said that because I did um, go and get Flawless. (laughs) As soon as I finished Done and Dusted, I was like, okay, what's next? Flawless. Yes, (laughs) it's so good. And I haven't read, so I've read um, the first two, but I haven't read Powerless and Reckless hasn't come out yet just because I've been so deep in writing um, that I haven't read them quite yet. But I'm so excited to be able to pick up Powerless once I finish up um, book two. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough trying to strike a balance between like reading and writing because as like book lovers, you want to do both like all the time and it's hard. It's so hard. And I think what I've been my kind of balance is that I try to read books that are outside my genre. So I have been reading a lot of thrillers. And if mm-hmm. I read romance, it's usually like paranormal or like a monster romance or something that yeah. is just just really, really different from whatever I'm writing. Yeah, yeah. It is hard to write something that's similar to what you're writing, either because you can kind of start to like absorb the other writer's writing voice a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. or you're like comparing yourself to them and like just thinking of all the myriad of ways that you're falling short. (laughs) Or at least that's what I do. (laughs) That is 100% what I do. And that's why I like literally can't read. Like if it, not even just cowboys, but if it is like a small town Mm -hmm. situation, I cannot read it while I'm writing it because I'm just like, Oh, wow. They're a lot better than I am. Um, yeah. Which again, like I'm, I'm great in my own ways, but it's definitely really hard to read, you know, people who are writing similar things to you while you're also writing that thing. So I just, yeah. I just don't. Exactly. Like I'll read like books that I think are kind of like the tone or the vibe that I'm going for. Like 
as I'm getting ready to start drafting. But right. as soon as I start drafting, then it's like, all right, we're going to read like domestic thrillers for the next six months. Here we go. <laughs> 100%. I was like, it's time to reactivate that book of the month subscription because they have company, you know, some pretty good thrillers and not always like great romances or not always romance as an option. So I was like, right. trying to get that, get that back on here because I got to, I got to knock out some thrillers while we're writing this. I know they usually do have like all the big, like banger thrillers in book of the month. Yeah, they really do. They, they hit that well. Uh-huh. Yeah, agreed. The other genres are like very hit and miss for me, but for their thrillers usually are like the ones you want to read that month. Right. I agree. Yeah. So uh, indie publishing, it is mm. a lot of fun. It's very exciting. It's empowering. And it's also a whole lot of work. So tell us what's been the most exciting part of indie publishing for you. And then what's been the most difficult parts of indie publishing for you? Yeah. Um, so, and I, I chose to do indie for this just because I wanted to get something out there. I did, you know, querying and trying to get an agent for years. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's a kind of demoralizing experience. Ooh, yeah, um, it <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. And, you know, I think if you are out there and you write stories and you, you know, have experienced what it's like to try to query just because you might not be the right fit for an agent or a publishing house doesn't mean that you're not writing stories that are worth reading. Um, yes. And that is kind of this conclusion I came to. I had gotten an email back from an agent that it was, you know, you don't get them back super often if they're not interested. Mm -hmm. um, and she had just ignored. It's lovely. Right. And you just like mark it off in your, on your Excel spreadsheet as another red and everyone was like, great. Um, mm -hmm. But she had told me, she had said, this is for, not done and dusted um that my writing was good and it had promise um and that little email just what? kind of sent me I know it was so nice and got me into hyper fixation mode and I was like all right. all right we're gonna write a story and we are gonna put it out there and I'm gonna do it myself yeah and that's kind of how I ended up writing done and dusted and putting it out into the world and I think kind of the most rewarding part of this experience is that I don't necessarily have a large kind of following, but I have a community of readers that I feel extremely connected to mm -hmm. um, and that they continuously show up for me. They are continuously excited about the book. I've got, you know, really lovely women on Instagram that have followed my little author page since I had like 47 followers. Yeah. Um, and so it's so exciting for me as somebody who has finally decided to chase a dream to have people who have decided to run alongside me and that's exciting and that's been the best part of this whole thing I love that I love that and I I will say you don't have a large following yet but I think you will very <laughs> shortly like the amount of hype we kind of chatted about this before we started the podcast um, but the amount of hype around this book online already has been like really really cool to see so I think it's just gonna get bigger and um, you won't be saying you have a small following for very much longer. <laughs> I'm really grateful for just all of it. And I think the thing that really kind of hits me in the heart and it makes me emotional is when I think about what it takes to read a book. And the only thing, you know, really that it takes, it takes money, obviously. Right. Unless, you know, you pay $11.99 for Kindle Unlimited, you buy a paperback. So it takes mm -hmm. money. Um, but it takes time. And of the things that it takes to read a book, time is the thing that you can't get back. Right. Right. And so the fact that people are willing to spend their most valuable resource on not only reading my book, but being excited about it. And I have 
readers who just make the most incredible kind of things from my book is it's so humbling and it just hits me in the heart every time because I just think about the fact that you know they had to spend anywhere from four to ten hours reading this Mm -hmm. 284 page book and then they liked it enough that they wanted to spend more time kind of being surrounded by it and that oh it really it gets to me I can't talk about it for too long so I'll start crying (laughs) because I'm just so grateful yeah, it, it is it is so lovely. And I do think that's uh, another important thing to mention is the length of your book because um, we do see a lot of like indie published books that are shorter and some people kind of have like that expectation that it's not like a full length novel as they've like come to expect full length novels to be. But this one definitely is like it's the same length as pretty much, you know, any any traditionally published romance that you would pick up today. Yes, and I... I only wanted Done and Dusted to be kind of as long as it needed to be to tell the story because the last thing, sometimes when I'm reading a book, when I start to kind of lull is not my favorite thing. And I had some more stuff in it and I was kind of bored when I was writing it. So I knew that that meant that readers would probably be bored when they were reading it. Uh Um, And so I think it ended up kind of being um, perfect for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's the perfect length. There's never a part where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm bored or this is slow like it all flows very well it feels very tight very well edited and with kind of like the hard part of indie publishing I think there's there's so many answers to this and I think one that you'll probably see all the time is you know that that you're it you are the writer you're the marketer you are the accountant exactly (laughs) you're the social media person you are everything to your book and while that's really empowering it can also be really tiring and I think maybe one thing that we kind of shy away from when talking about kind of the cons of indie publishing is also the cost because you're also the investor you have to invest in yourself to be kind of an indie published author which again is super empowering but if I did have kind of a technical piece of advice for folks out there who are thinking of doing it make your budget Mm-hmm. Uh, just decide where you're going to put the bulk of your budget. I put the bulk of mine in my cover, in my editing, and I tried to cut costs other places, uh-huh. uh, which worked out. But make sure you know what you're going to do with your money. And then make sure, Christy, you're going to love this. Make sure you know where you're going to put your money if you get it. Uh, make sure you know what your banking situation looks like. Uh, yeah. Uh, listeners, Lila and I worked at a bank together once upon a time. So <laughs> yeah, that's why that's funny. <laughs> Yes, make sure you know what you're going to do with it. Uh-huh, exactly. Yeah, we're definitely living in like um, a pay-to-play world in publishing, mm-hmm. right? Like I feel like a lot of the stigma against indie publishing is kind of gone, especially in the romance genre. Like readers are very much open to and here for indie published books now, which is phenomenal. Um, but it is a pay-to-play world. So if you want to publish a book, you have to pay for it. And it is really important to know, like, I'm going to make my dream come true, but this is how much that costs. So what things can I afford? Where do I want to invest that money? And then kind of go from there because it is, it's not a cheap endeavor. It is not. And it's also really easy to overspend. So Mm -hmm. I am not, I'm not a great budgeting gal. Um, I love spending my money. So it was really, (laughs) really important. It was really important for me to set my budget and stick to it because there are so many ways that you can kind of overblow it. And I think it's just really important to set your expectations, determine your budget. And that takes a lot of research, right? Trying to find 
a cover artist that fits in your budget, trying mm -hmm. to find an editor that fits in your budget, interior formatting. If you want some additional help with marketing and you're going to pay somebody for that, just there right. are a lot of places you can spend money. Um, and so make sure you research those places and break your budget down accordingly. Yeah. Oh, I think that is brilliant advice. I do think it would be great for there to be more transparency around like costs in indie publishing and like the like entire process of indie publishing and maybe like one day we can do like a separate episode and like really do a deep dive into like what everything actually looks like for people um because it is it is a it's fascinating but it's a big expensive process it's a big expensive process and there are some people out there who can do it you know with five hundred dollars and there's some people out there who are willing to spend five thousand dollars so it just mm -hmm. it just really depends on on you and it takes a lot of research and a lot of kind of reading between the lines of what other authors are doing to figure it out mm -hmm. for yourself. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So you invested a lot in your cover for Done and Dusted mm -hmm. and uh, the book is also very well edited. So you invested in editing. Um, so tell us what that process was like for you for finding your editor and your cover designer and then like what, what working with them was like. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I have to say that both my cover artist and my editor, my cover artist, her name's Austin, and my editor, her name is Taylor. Both of them are so incredibly talented, and I am so grateful that they decided to share their gifts with me and my story um, because I just think the world of both of them. Mm -hmm. So for Austin, my cover designer, I had a full cover and a different title for Done and Dusted, and I hated it oh no um yes so I had to go on the hunt again and obviously the artist who did the first one she was lovely you know it was great I ended up telling her I was like I don't think this is the direction that I'm gonna go but thank you so much you know here's the other half of right. my deposit to you like right. I really appreciate you and your work it just isn't kind of the fit that I was looking for because unfortunately for me I had an extremely specific vision right in yeah that makes it hard for my cover it wasn't like I was kind of like looking and I saw things and I was like oh that could work I knew exactly what I wanted which in some ways is really great and in others it's like how do I find somebody who can make this thing that exists in my head come to life um because the post the kind of cover for Donna Dusted I wanted it to be very obviously romance mm -hmm. I also wanted it to be very obviously kind of western um because it was really based on some vintage rodeo posters from my hometown and so I was scouring <laughs> the internet for and at first I was looking for specifically like book cover books uh -huh. um and then I branched out because this is the first book cover that Austin has ever done okay yeah um, my cover artist this is her first book cover too yes and your book cover is beautiful and I love the colors and so it was kind of I had to kind of take it away that it's like, oh, I'm looking for somebody who does book covers into I'm looking for an artist that can help me realize kind of my dream. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I'm lucky. Right. And I'm lucky enough. I have a background in art. I love, you know, painting and drawing. So it was easy for me to communicate with Austin once I found her and I saw her style. And I thought that her style, she generally kind of draws vintage illustrations of like bad, like cool women. I love um, it. And so I was like, okay, I think that this can be translated into what I'm looking for. And she was really excited about the project. She was really excited about the prospect. I had sent her kind of a vision board that was a bunch of like old clinch uh -huh. romance cover poses. Love some it. That's cool, so cool like 
right? Some cool old Western romances from like the 80s. And she was really excited and it was great to work with her and kind of watch the two of us come together. Again, I'm mm-hmm. so grateful she used her gift to help kind of benefit my story. It was just a lot of fun. The first draft that she did, the sketch, it was beautiful. And then the first time we laid color down, I was like, oh no, like I didn't love it. And she knows this. So if she's listening to this, she knows. Because <laughs> she knows we had already. A, yes, we had a very, like, we have an extremely great working relationship. And that comes out, I think, in the cover of Done and Dusted, but it also comes out in the cover for book two. Um, and I just can't thank her enough for like being willing to like kind of go back, not go back to the drawing board. We kept the pose. We kept most of the elements, but the colors, I wanted them. Done and Dusted kind of looks vintage without being vintage. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that comes from the color choices. And so we kind of went back to the drawing board on those and it turned out really wonderful. It did. It turned out so great. And I mean, like the the truth of like books is that everyone judges them by their covers and Mm -hmm. book covers absolutely sell books. And if you're an indie author, I feel like it's even more important to have like a good cover because you don't have a whole like publishing house marketing your book for you. Like your book cover is the main thing that's going to do that for you. Right. And I think, especially as a debut indie author, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what is going to get people's attention? And honestly, didn't know if people would like it because I think it still, when I see it kind of alongside other books, I'm like, that looks really different, but it also fits right in. And so I didn't know if people were going to like it, but I also was like, I just need to get their attention. Yeah, no, I think so. It's different than a lot of the indie romance specifically that I see being published right now. Um, A lot of them have like a very similar vibe and that's very common advice when you're an indie author is you'll, people will tell you, look at what the top 20 indie books on Amazon are doing right now, do that same thing. And that's not bad advice, Mm -hmm. but I do think that making yours unique, but also like still having that romance vibe and tying in like the classic romance, but like making it modern with the illustration and the colors. I I think it's really, really smart and a great way to market the book. Thank you. I'm, I'm so pleased with it. And I just... I love it. And I think what a lot of this comes down to, what I'm learning about myself as we're talking, is I love doing what I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So indie publishing is the perfect fit. Yes, that is exactly what I love to do. And I, yeah, so the cover was amazing. My editor, Taylor, again, also amazing. Another amazing woman who I'm so grateful. She kind of lended her gifts to my book and helped me make sure that this book was good inside and out where the cover is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So how did you find your editor? Because I know that's a hard thing for a lot of people trying to get into indie publishing. Yeah, and it's it was, I would say, even though I did kind of have the debacle with kind of the first cover of Done and Dusted that I didn't like, I think finding the editor was probably like a little bit more of a difficult process mm-hmm. just because I think, again, you have to find someone who is willing to work kind of with your voice and not around or through it. Right. Um, And I write the way that I talk. And so I had to make sure that somebody was, they could see that and be willing to kind of clean it up and tell me where I needed to like, you know, make things better, but also would take everything that I write into consideration while they're editing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I perused like Instagram that was kind of 
my place where I found my editor. I know a lot of people use like Upwork or Fiverr, but I wanted to make sure I also found an editor that was kind of involved in the indie romance book community. Uh Right. Right. Because like, I think it's different finding, you know, an editor through a different space where they might not have been exposed to romance or indie romance before. Um, I'm lucky because Taylor has like a really firm grasp on tropes and what people expect. And um, she helped me a lot with my pacing, uh-huh. which I'm so grateful for. She's just really lovely. But I, my biggest advice when you're looking for an editor is that if they do a sample edit, take them up on it. Yeah. Um, Taylor did a sample edit of 5,000 words. I had, I did five sample edits with five different people that I had found and really liked. The sample edits ranged from a thousand to five thousand words, and once I'd kind of gotten all those back and looked through them, for me, Taylor was the one. She was extremely thorough. Like I was amazed how thorough she was. Um, and I'm kind of I'm a pretty clean writer, mm-hmm. and so the fact that she was able to just really dive in and like take no prisoners was fantastic yeah I'm also a Leo so the Taylor really had to like get good at like the compliment sandwich (laughs) yep (laughs) we need some validation before like the critique (laughs) like I really appreciate that about her and Taylor also is like a she's a she was a um, junior high teacher, and so I think that that also really helped. Right, yeah, she knows. Because she knows what it's like to, like, develop people as writers. But she was, I just, like, loved her sample edit. I adored her, and I appreciated the fact not only that she was willing to be like, this part is good, but you need an editor that's like, this is not great. Right. And this needs to be better. And I think Taylor was really good at pushing me there, and kind of pushing me to dig like a little bit deeper because I think something that's hard for me as a writer is that all of this exists in my brain so sometimes I forget that I need to tell people right exactly you forget that you have to put it on the page because they don't know yet (laughs) right it's like oh dang it and so I and that's what I saw with Taylor in my sample edit is that she kind of picked out all of the places where I was like kind of glossing over information because I had written it like people already knew mm-hmm. and so that's kind of that's my I would say kind of my biggest kind of like crutches is because everything exists so vividly in my brain that I forget that I have to tell so yeah show pardon not tell show. <laughs> right yeah um, never tell <laughs> never tell just show <laughs> um and so that was great working with Taylor she really she's amazing and she's going to be working on book two and I'm I'm so excited she's wonderful uh. Very cool. So um, with so you're working with a cover artist, you're working with an editor, you're also like writing all of these books. So how do you go about like creating some kind of like publishing schedule where you're like you're not working with a publishing house. So you have to schedule like the the cover to be done at a specific time and the edits to be done at a specific time. And you have to finish like writing Mm -hmm. the thing (laughs) at a specific time and you're in charge of all of it. So how do you do that? even know I should not be in charge of anything including (laughs) myself but here we are here we Um, are this is what I have to do so for done and dusted I think it was a little bit easier because I had written an entire first draft before I even was like I'm gonna make a social media account or I'm gonna start doing this just because I think I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it right and so for done dusted it was kind of easier 
once I had that first draft and I had started looking for people, I had decided that I wanted it to come out June 6th. June 6th is my, is, um, was my grandfather's birthday. And so it felt kind of significant and I wanted it to happen on a, I don't know, I'm a nostalgic little, little thing. So I I wanted that to be the date and I had decided that in my head. And so then I just kind of worked backwards from there. And I tried to be really upfront about my timeline when I was working with people and wasn't really a problem for uh, my cover artist because she was really excited. So we kind of knocked that out in like three weeks. Um, But for Done and Dusted also went through um, beta reading before it went to editing. So mm-hmm. I had some people kind of read it first, two of my beta readers, Amanda and Candice, who I'm also so grateful for. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And I'm so grateful that they took a chance on my debut. So for me, I think the best kind of strategy has been working backwards. And that's the strategy I took. I'm taking with Swift and Saddled as well, is I decided on a release date and everything else goes back from there. Okay. Oh, I love it. And I'm so excited for Swift and Saddled. So um, that is what you're working on now, I'm guessing. Are you still in the drafting phase or how far are you in that process? Yeah. So um, I just hit kind of like the 50% mark in the first draft of Swift and Saddled, which is great. I Once I kind of decide on my story, so the way I kind of write is I pick five to seven like events that I want to happen. And that can be something as big as, you know, like the first time they meet or the moment of reconciliation. It can be something as small as like a forehead kiss in the spring. So (laughs) I I kind of like map my story out that way and then I fill in the blanks. So when I say 50%, I mean 50% of the word count because there are pieces that are written in the middle and at the end. And I'm starting to connect all of those pieces together, which usually is the quickest part of drafting for Uh me Okay. um, because the picture kind of exists in my head. So I should be finishing up Swift and Saddled at the end of this month, at the end of June. And then it will go to my phenomenal beta readers, then, you know, back to Taylor with uh, a release date of October 13th. October 13th. That Oh, that feels like a very, like, uh, perfect release date for October. Doesn't it? It's a Friday yeah. the 13th. And also... Oh, nice. Like, I know. And I'm kind of into that. Um, and yeah, so, <laughs> but I also, uh, it's like Swift is it, the verb plays a role in the book, but also like Taylor Swift is obsessed with 13s. And so I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm gonna true, come true. It's, oh my goodness. This is like, it's going to come out on 13. This release date is just like perfection, like from so many different angles. I love it. I know my, it was my beta reader, Candace. It was like Friday the 13th. And I was like, done. <laughs> So we work backwards from there. Yeah. Oh, what an excellent day. See, and I was like, what day am I going to release my book? Well, 7-Eleven is Slurpee Day, so there we go. <laughs> and that's a perfect way to celebrate release day. Go get yourself a Slurpee. Oh, I'm so totally I'm going to. <laughs> all for it. I mean, I and some people do really well with like external motivators, like having like a cover or like putting it out into the universe. I don't do great with that, which is why I had the whole first draft done before I released the cover for Done and Dusted. But I do do awesome with deadlines because I have, like Emmy, I have ADHD. And so I do need like a little bit of pressure. Yeah. Yep. Those self-imposed deadlines. um, Mm -hmm. Those work really well for me too. But like if I have told somebody else about it, then I kind of start to like crumble under the pressure. (laughs) So it's like, I know what my deadline is and usually no one else does. That's good. I have to do it because, like, I think I'm okay with disappointing myself, whatever, but I really hate disappointing other people. Exactly, exactly. That's when I get stressed. Yes. 
Um, I know we talked about uh, your advice around like budgeting for indie authors, but do you have any other advice you would like to give any aspiring indie publishing um, authors today? Yeah, I think love your book. That's, I think, the best piece of advice mm, that yes. I follow and that I think other people should follow. A couple of years ago when I was still writing and still querying, there was somebody who told me that I should be my book's biggest critic, which in some ways is true, but you're going to have plenty of those. Yeah, um, there's no shortage of critics. <laughs> right. It's 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 a lot harder to love something than that you created than it is to be critical of something that you created. I and agree. So, yeah, write, write what you love. Write, again, I like to do what I want. I want. Um, write what you want to write because when you love something, because if you're indie publishing, you're going to be the marketer. You're going to be, right, you're the whole thing from start to finish. And it's a lot easier to talk about something, market something, make people excited for something when you are also excited and love it. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I agree a million percent. That is the best advice. And also like, it's what makes it fun because if you're not having fun, especially in indie publishing, like then don't do it. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. It's so much work and it's so much stress and it can be like very, very rewarding. But if you're not enjoying the process, then it's just not worth it. Right. And I had a blast writing Done and Dusted. And I think, you know, I had one of my friends who's read it. um, She was just like, I can tell that you were having a good time. And I was, and that's kind of, I love to write. I never want writing to be um, a chore. And that's Mm -hmm. also something that is kind of scary about tying kind of a occupation to something that you love, but it's also something that's kind of exciting. I never want writing to feel like a chore. Sometimes there are pieces that are hard to write, but I don't want them, want it to feel like I have to write. It's like I kind of get to write this. And so I just, if you write something that you love, it's going to come through in your writing and it's going to make it better. Oh, I agree. And uh, I feel like this has given me like uh, a pep talk and some <laughs> motivation <laughs> to get back to work, which I need to do after we wrap up the podcast today. So thank no. you for that. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm kind of like jazzing myself up too. I'm going to go knock out like 5,000 words after I this know, launch. I <laughs> know. I know. This was perfect. We should do this every Sunday. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Literally just a quick pep talk before yeah. we have to dive back in. Quick pep talk. We can do this. We love this. It's fun. Let's go. <laughs> Right, because sometimes it's really hard to forget that we do this because we love to do it and not because we have to. Yep, exactly. Well, before we sign off, do you want to just tell our listeners how they can connect with you online and stay up to date on all of your upcoming book releases? Yes, so all of my handles on all social media. I'm mostly active on Instagram and TikTok, and I am somewhat annoying on both of those things, but it's (laughs) it's at author Lila Sage, so... Um, I'd say social are the easiest, probably the most active on Instagram, but I also have a newsletter um, that usually goes out monthly. My main goal is just not to excessively email you. So uh, you can sign up for my newsletter to kind of stay up to date, get some sneak peeks. My newsletter has had the first three chapters of Done and Dusted for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So you can expect the same thing for Swift and Saddled, I'm sure. Awesome. I can't wait. And Lila, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me and to celebrate the launch of Done and Dusted. This has been so much fun. 
It has. And thank you so much, Christy, for everyone out there. I missed finding Christy's first appointment (laughs) for this podcast because, again, there's a lot going on this week, but she was kind enough to give me a second chance. It's like a second chance romance, and it turned out really, really great. And (laughs) I'm so grateful. This is our second chance romance. (laughs) I love that so much. And, like, it's not a big deal. Like, release week is absolutely bananas and chaos, and I understand. (laughs) So we are so good. It's totally, totally fine. But I'm super grateful and I've had a blast. And I hope that those folks, I know you do a lot of cozy mysteries. So I hope they're just as excited about a cheeky little cowboy romance too. Yeah. I mean, I write romance. So I think mm-hmm. they're getting used to me like kind of bouncing a little bit more towards the the romance end of the spectrum. So, and I know a lot of them like do read romance, particularly small town romance. So I think our audience is going to love this book. And listeners, thank you so, so much for tuning in with us as well. We really appreciate you. And we'll be back with another episode soon. So stay tuned. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. Stay cozy.